everyone, this is Des and you are listening to The Wellness Project powered by Spotlight Coalition. I have some very exciting news to share. For the first time ever, I am offering a group program. I realize that many people are stressed, burned out, overwhelmed, and just plain exhausted. Sadly, many people don't have support from others, a healthy outlet, or a way to cope with the stresses of their everyday lives. If you can relate, then don't hesitate to sign up for the Mindful Monday Power-Up Group. This four-week group will not only give you the support and encouragement you've been craving, but it will also provide you with a safe space to express yourself, healthy coping skills, practical tips you can implement into your daily life, and that sense of community you've been longing for. Create a life you love. Sign up for the waitlist today. You can find the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to see you there. On today's episode, I speak with Mary J. Held. She grew up with several childhood traumas and even a few traumas in her adulthood. She struggled with alcoholism, and she's very open about her complex PTSD as well as her road to recovery. Now, I am going to place a trigger warning here for sexual assault, so just be aware of that. I think this is a very, very important conversation, and I think you're really going to get a lot out of this episode. Mary discusses EMDR and how it helped her with her trauma. EMDR is a therapeutic modality that has been showing a lot of success in helping with trauma. So I really wanted you to hear her firsthand account of her experience with her trauma and EMDR and how it helped her. She even wrote a book called Unfreezing Trauma, My Private Journal of EMDR Recovery. And she's going to discuss that in the episode as well. I think this is going to be a powerful episode. It's so important to hear people's stories about their struggles with mental illness, addiction, trauma, and the path they took to recovery because as we know there's not one singular path I mean everybody has their own different path everybody has different things that will help them so I love interviewing people to get their perspective and their ideas and what helps them so that it could maybe help you and resonate with you so let's speak with Mary now about her traumas their effect on her life her addiction and her road to recovery with EMDR Everyone, I am here with Mary J. Held. Mary, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really looking forward to talking with you because you have just so much experience and so many words of wisdom, and you've even written a book to help other people. So I'm really looking forward to hearing all about that. So just to get us started, can you give us a little background, what you've been through, how things have gone in your life, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I started out not knowing there was anything wrong with me, just having what was looked like a seizure disorder. And for 11 years, I had a seizure disorder. For five of those years, the first five, I couldn't, I had to stop working altogether. And then the last six, I was working like three, three hour shifts a week. So nine hours a week. And that was all I could work without having these seizures interrupt me. Well, I'm also long-term in a 12-step program. And I was sitting in one of my meetings and I started having a seizure. And the man next to me put his hand on my arm and it calmed down, which usually it doesn't happen. Usually it just gets worse. And after the meeting, he said, you know, there's this therapy called EMDR that helped me a lot. And I think it would help you. Well, at that point, I tried all kinds of things. You know, I've been to the doctors, I've been to the psychiatrist, I've been to the neurologist. I mean, nobody seemed to be able to help me. But I thought, well, maybe this will work. 
maybe this is what I need. Didn't make any sense to me, but I decided I would do it. So I went into EMDR therapy. We had like a pretty intense four-month foray into weekly two-hour sessions. By the end of that time, my seizures were almost totally gone. Wow. It was just amazing. It turns out that they were from PTSD, which I didn't know. And they had nobody had mentioned, oh, I bet it's PTSD. Nobody had said that to me, but that's what it turned out to be. That's incredible. For our listeners, can you explain what EMDR is? EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. What it does is you simulate both sides of your brain. For me, I watched my therapist move her hand back and forth. So I watched her fingers. For some people, you can put on headsets and it'll be a tone in each ear. When they're doing it virtually, there's a dot that goes back and forth across the screen. For children, they might tap one knee and then the other knee. Just this bilateral stimulation changes the, the situation. And when I was doing it in EMDR, it's like instead of just going through the same description of an event that I had been through and been through and been through, all of a sudden I'm in the place. I'm like part of the time I'm, I'm myself, part of the time I'm like standing behind myself, looking around, and I notice things I hadn't noticed before, and I recognize feelings that I hadn't recognized before. When I was done with it, the situation started moving back in time. It moved back to where it was supposed to be instead of when you have PTSD, it's like a constant thing. It's, it's like whenever it replays, it's always like it's present, like it's a present time. It never feels like, oh, that was, you know, years ago. It always plays like it's, it's right now. But with EMDR, it lets it go back in time which is just amazing. That is amazing. I'm really, really glad that that helped you. And can you tell us about how long you started noticing differences while doing EMDR? I started noticing differences right away. I started noticing with a particular trauma that that trauma no longer got me excited and upset and worried and didn't have this whole flood of emotions with it, which was just amazing. I mean, these would be things that have been, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, felt like now. And then after I did EMDR, it's like I could almost feel things shuffling around in my head as that thing went back in time. So for each individual episode, each individual trauma, as I would go through it, I would start feeling the changes from that. Part of the EMDR is you pick a negative cognition and a positive cognition. So I would go in saying, I'm worthless. The evil knows that I'm here. It's going to get me at any time. I would go in with that kind of belief. And I would want to think the world isn't going to treat me any differently than it does anybody else. Something like that. Those particular cognitions would change. I would start to feel like, well, maybe it isn't the whole world that's after me. Maybe it was just that guy in that one situation. Maybe it was just him. As I remembered things, as I could see it in a different light, it just changed. Oh, 
that's amazing. And are you still doing EMDR currently? No, I'm no longer doing EMDR. Okay. How long did you do EMDR for? I did it for four months, for 16 sessions. Okay. Oh, wow. And it made that much of an impact. In those oh, sessions. It, made, it made that much of an impact. And I went in with some good things. I went in already trusting my therapist. I knew and trusted my therapist. That was really a big plus. When people start, you go through that initial period where you're trying to build up trust. And this is especially important because your memory changes, you know, and it's like, do I trust this? What's happening here? You know, I don't recognize what's happening. And it's important to have somebody that you trust. I also had all those years in the 12 step program, which really drums in the one day at a time, face just what's happening today, walk through each step as you're walking through it, and then don't look back at it. So I could go through things and stay where I was. I didn't have to go through a hard time and say, oh, this is going to last forever. It's like, no, I'm going to go through this hard time right now. And it's going to be however long it is. I could stay out of that catastrophizing, which which I think catches other people as they're doing EMDR. Okay. Yes. Yes. And I'm really glad you said that because you brought up an important point that trusting your therapist is a huge part of treatment, whatever treatment you get, whether it's EMDR, CBT, just talk therapy, whatever treatment it is, trusting your therapist is so, so important. And that's why I always tell people too, if you don't feel that connection, if you give it a go, you give it a try and you're not connecting with your therapist, you don't trust them in that way. I think it is important to try to switch therapists to find the right fit for you. Yes, that's extremely important. I'm on several of the Facebook groups. And one of the things that come up is people will say, I don't trust my therapist. I don't like what my therapist is doing. You know, what should I do? You know, it's hard enough to go to therapy without having to go to therapy and then switch therapists. Exactly. It's hard enough to find one. But we encourage people to then move on and, and get to somebody that you feel okay with. Definitely. And I do think it is important to discuss the issues with the therapist because sometimes it is something the therapist could change or modify in their treatment or, or their approach, but sometimes it just isn't a good fit and that's okay. Yeah. So I want you to take us back a little bit. So you have complex PTSD, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Can you explain what that is for our listeners? PTSD, people think about it as a one incident kind of thing. Like I was raped once or, you know, I was beaten up and thought I was going to get killed once or, or whatever. Those are two of my traumas. Instead of having one, you have lots of traumas. And typically, I think there'll be some childhood trauma involved in that. For me, I had this place where traumas went. They went to the right side of my brain. There was a giant wall there with a little door in it that had all kinds of furniture and stuff piled in front of it. And they were inside a locked box in that little behind that wall. Very well defended. And so things could just go there. They just would go there. I think when you've had childhood trauma that it happens so early, you don't know exactly what to do with it. And so it ends up there. And so you tend to have that kind of thing happen. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. And I know that you explained that you did have seizures throughout your life. Can you also explain what other symptoms you were experiencing growing up? Well, it wasn't growing up. 
growing up, I didn't have hardly any effects of anything. I had the one trauma that went there, but my, my nuclear family was intact and was safe. And so I just managed to just keep on doing what I was doing. I did well in school. I was the oldest girl of, of six. They were stair steps, pretty much. And so I did my job taking care of the little ones, helping take care of the little ones anywhere, helping with the cooking, just doing good things. I, I did well. And I did well most of my life. I would have times when it would be like what I think now is seepage from behind the wall, where I would get depressed and be depressed for a while, but then that would go away and I would keep on going. So the defenses were up, were pretty strong. I went overseas for three years to the United Arab Emirates and I taught math over there. And I had a wonderful time for a person who's treated as high status and protected. You know, there were no guns in the country. While I was there, a, a Western woman was raped and the whole police force came out and they brought out the dogs and they found the man and they convicted the man. Now, this wasn't going to be true if I was a Filipino woman. I mean, that would, wouldn't have happened, but it happened for a Western woman. And it's like, wow, you know, in the States, they don't even process the rape kits. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's bring out the dogs. So when I had to come back to the States, I wanted to come back so my son could have schooling in the United States for his high school years. When I came back to the States, it was like something cracked in that wall and things started coming out and then the seizures started. And I wasn't aware that it was a crack. I understood it later on, but it was a crack in that wall and all this stuff started seeping out and it just turned into seizures in my body. Now, first they thought it was stress. And so I did all the yoga and walking and lose weight and, and do all this stress stuff. I took a job. I was teaching again. I stopped teaching and got a job as a little bookkeeper at, at a construction company, which was so low stress and it didn't work. And then the psychiatrist at that point suggested, well, maybe you'd be better off if you moved home to your family. So I moved home where my family was, which is in Southern Ohio. I was in Arizona. So I moved to Southern Ohio and that didn't work. The seizures got worse. I didn't have any source of income because I had stopped working by that point. You know, I would be at work. I'd have a seizure. Somebody would have to take my car and drive me home with that, have somebody follow them so then they could come back. It was like a big disruption to work. And I just couldn't continue it. I couldn't continue it. The seizures had started with just one arm and they went to both arms and then both legs, you know, and then to my shoulders and my head, my trunk would stay stable. So I got to Ohio, I get a regular doctor, had to wait for an appointment for, you know, the free clinic kind of stuff you take, takes a long time. They sent me down to the neurologist. The neurologist watched the seizures and said it was epilepsy. And then we started on lots of drugs for epilepsy. Finally, I was getting an EEG and they didn't see the kind of electrical things happening in my brain that they expected with epilepsy. So they said, you have a conversion order and sent me to the psychiatrist. 
And then I went to the psychiatrist and stayed with the psychiatrist for the rest of the time. I did have to change one, which was hard. I had to pretty much wait until I got SSD and a Medicare card so I could change therapists because with the Medicaid card, you're pretty much blocked into just the community mental health. And I needed a new therapist and I went to a different psychiatrist. He started into this, let's get you off the drugs. Let's see what's going on. Let's track these seizures. Let's see if we can find out when, when you have a seizure and when you don't. We did that. And he said, well, why don't you try doing something you like to do? So I joined a choir and I managed to make it to every practice and to our performance without having a seizure. Wow. I was, oh, it was amazing. Then I thought, well, maybe I can work a little bit. And then I started back to work in a little bit. The first time I heard complex PTSD was after I did EMDR. Really? And, and people started talking and saying, well, what you had was complex PTSD. When we were in the midst of, of the EMDR, we didn't talk about what is this besides this is what we're doing. We didn't pull back and say, well, you have complex PTSD. No, that didn't happen. Interesting. Okay. And so when you started learning about complex PTSD and you were diagnosed, what was your reaction? Did it, did it come together? Did it make sense for you? Were you shocked? It made total sense. It's like, oh, so that's what it was. That makes sense. You know, you feel a little excessive when you have more than one trauma because people have one trauma and they're like, this one trauma is impacting their life in all kinds of ways. When you've got multiple traumas, you think, well, something's really wrong with me then, you know, but you don't know that it has its own way that you would approach it and things that you would do about it. And it is itself kind of a separate diagnosis on top of the PTSD. The complex PTSD has that layering to it. So it made total sense that we were pulling off layers of trauma to get to the basic trauma and finally settle it off. Okay. That makes sense. And were, were your loved ones aware of those traumas or were those things that you kept secret? The childhood abuse I kept secret from my family. I even said, don't read the book. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I hadn't even told them that I had been raped until I found myself out knowing that I was going to go out and protest about Brett Kavanaugh as a Me Too survivor, as a, as a rape survivor. I just sent out an email to my family and said, oh, I'm going to do this. I thought you should know that I'd been raped before I get up there in public and shout about it. Wow. Oh. And what was their reaction? It was a very low-key reaction. They weren't all that surprised, I don't think, because... You know, I was known as Wild Mary in my drinking days. Childhood sexual abuse does set you up to be promiscuous in your later life. And it certainly did for me. So people weren't all that, oh, my God, I'm so sorry it happened. What in the world can I do to help? It was like, well, I'm really sorry it happened Mm. and then dropped it. I mean, and I think in those situations, too, I think a lot of people don't know what to say exactly, and they don't know how to help, and they don't want to say the wrong thing. And I, I think that prevents people from saying anything at all sometimes. Yeah. 
and it's real hard because because what you you don't want anybody minimizing it exactly you don't want anybody saying oh well at least you didn't kill you you know exactly because you're saying that to yourself right you want to minimize it because the actual thing is just so horrifying to you it's like oh my god how can this happen to me how can this happen Mm -hmm. I'm a good person what is going on here you know it's just so overwhelming to you and then to have other people say well it's you know you shouldn't let it overwhelm you you should do this and that it's like well I mean just throw that back in the box nobody's gonna pay attention to this one you know sometimes we've already decided to do that one of my traumas was this man that I that I knew from a bar didn't know him very well but he he had come over to my house a couple times and he came over and we're talking and all of a sudden he starts accusing me of doing all these things they were things that I hadn't done first I just kept trying to say well I didn't do it I didn't do it what are you talking about And he kept talking and finally he got real excited about it. And he said, you know, you need to pay for this. You need to be punished for this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take you out in the woods and I'm going to hold you by that long hair and cut that, cut your head off. He was a big guy and I believed him. And we sat there. So I stopped saying that I hadn't done things and started saying, I'm really sorry I did that. (laughs) You know, I should never have done that to you. What a horrible thing to do. And we made it through the night. And when the daylight came, he said, I'm just going to rape you. I'm not going to do anything else. Well, I didn't, he didn't say it in that terms. He said, I know what I'll do. Get into the bedroom. And so I knew what he was going to do. But, but my first thought when I'm in EMDR, my first thought was, oh, thank God. Thank God he's going to rape me (laughs) because the trauma that I carried from that wasn't the rape. And I thought it was the rape. The trauma from that was those six or seven or eight hours or however long it was of sitting there talking to this man and having a vision of my head hanging loose from my body as he held my hair. That was the hard part of it. Yeah, that's absolutely terrifying. And so when I told somebody the next day that I'd been raped, they weren't all that excited. But then I wasn't all that horrified by the rape. It took EMDR for me to realize that the rape was a good thing to me at that point. I I had to act like it was horrible. It was just that split second of knowing that it was going to be good, but I had to act like it was horrible. So he would think I had been punished enough. Mm -hmm. So would you say that you felt in a way that that was a relief because you had lived? Yes. Yes. It was definitely a relief. That could be really confusing in itself, that whole experience. And when I think about what somebody could have said, it's like, well, the only thing we could have talked about was the rape. Because I wasn't reacting to the other stuff that happened. That had been buried real deep, real fast. So I could act like the rape was real bad when dealing with him. So I could fight and he could feel strong and all that kind of stuff. But, oh, I was so glad I was going to live. 
When you go to someone and you share a trauma you've experienced, what advice do you have for those people who hear it and don't know what to say? What could somebody do to be there, to be a support, but they don't know what to do. They don't know how to react. They don't want to say the wrong thing. I would just have them go into the horror. Don't minimize it. Let the person talk about the horror. Let the person talk about how it felt. Let them go on and on as long as they want to go on and on. Because as soon as you put up that wall, as soon as you start saying, well, you know, at least this didn't happen. You know, at least you didn't die. It's like, okay, they don't understand. We want to minimize. I'm going to put that stuff away. I'm going to hide that stuff away. You start stuffing stuff. You start stuffing your feelings. That's what you want to try to avoid. Okay. I think that's really good for people to know. Cause I think a lot of times people don't know what to say and it makes them nervous and they don't want to make things worse, but then they end up making things worse by trying to minimize it. And that's the last thing somebody needs. Yeah. It shouldn't be minimized. Yeah. Not at all. You went from being very closed off with your sharing your traumas. You said you didn't let your family know you were kind of kept that stuff to yourself to writing and publishing a book about it. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I would love to hear about that and what inspired you to write the book, why you felt it was important to share your story. I write, I, it's just something that I do. I write. My therapist said she wanted me after every session to write And to write during the week, anytime I felt something come up. So I wrote. I wrote exactly what happened at the first session. I wrote how that felt in the following days, you know, ups and downs. And, oh, I'm feeling taller. You know, oh, other people are shorter. How strange is this? Um, Just whatever I was feeling. And we would start the session by reading that. After we read it, we would pick what we would do the next thing. So I had... At that point, I had this journal that covered every session and everything that happened in between. One of the things that a lot of people experience when they do EMDR is that they want to tell the world about it because it's the difference of night and day. When I finished my last session, it felt like I just burst into joy. The whole right side of my head was empty. I could just go in there and dance. This was good times, you know, and so you want to tell other people who are stuck in trauma, this can happen. I thought the best way to do that would be for me to whip this journal into some kind of shape and publish it. I started working with one editor and he did an excellent job just trying to format it. My therapist came in and said she would do little comments after each session. So I have a therapist comments in there. And then after it went through that first one, it still was really long. The other editor just was like me. It's like you just get caught in all of the little strange things that are happening. So I got this editor that was much fiercer, who said, well, it's nice that you have all these power stories from when you were a child. But we don't need six or seven of them. Why don't you cut it down to three? This whole section here, you said it already. Let's drop that whole thing out. 
And she just whittled it down to where it is now, which is a readable kind of thing. And it was so big before that people couldn't read it. And this got it into shape and, and got published. And I think it's useful to people. I heard from somebody who, who found me online and said he read the book and he started EMDR right away. And it's been very helpful for him. Oh, wow. So at least one person has done that. You know, I'm hoping a lot of people do because a lot of people in this country have trauma. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them don't process that trauma well. Yeah. And it stays with them and it haunts them and it affects their lives. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't have to be true. If EMDR works for them, two or three sessions for a single trauma, two or three sessions and it might be gone. Of course, you have to have those, uh, those extra sessions in the front so you feel safe with somebody. Mm -hmm. But yes. they can be gone. I'm the first one that I heard about, the first story I heard about was a man who was a train engineer and somebody had committed suicide by jumping in front of his train oh. and he could not get past that. He could not process that. He had to stop working. Every time he got there, that's all he would think about was the sight and the sound and the smell of this man killing himself. And he went in for EMDR and in a couple sessions, he's done with it. He's back at work. Wow. But before you process it, you just get stuck in these horrible things and they just keep replaying mm -hmm. and they just feel like it's happening right now. Mm -hmm. Wow. And is that why you wanted to share your story to help other people with their trauma then? Oh, yeah. To show them how it works. I mean, the ins and outs of it, there's, there's a couple of other books where people talk about EMDR, but this is the only one that actually just takes you through. This is the EMDR process, and this is how it works. So not only does, does it help them, hopefully help them start EMDR, but helps them realize that all of the strange, unusual things that you feel are normal things. There was a time in there, I don't remember what I was processing, or maybe I was just looking around for what was left when everybody around me irritated me to death. Mm. They were just horrible people. <laughs> and they did this and that and the other. And, and, you know, I tried not to tell them all about it, but some of it slipped out. On my Facebook boards, people will say, oh, my gosh, I'm just so angry at my husband and my kids. What can I do about them? And it's like, well, it's just part of the process. Wait a couple of days and they're not going to be such horrible people. You know, <laughs> it, it runs its way out, but you don't know that. You don't know that if just hold on and it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I, with my 12 step background, that's the thing that you do. You just stay in there and don't say this is going to keep on for forever. It's happening today and that's enough. Tomorrow you could wake up and it could be different. And with EMDR, tomorrow you wake up and it is different. It's different in such amazing ways. I, I couldn't leave my house hardly. If I was going to leave my house, it felt like I had to put on armor and get energy together and go out there and be ready to fight the world. And just the physical act of going out the door was like I was pushing through this 
force field of strong, gluey substance or something to get out of the house. And then I do EMDR and it's like, oh, I just go out and take the garbage out. And it's not a problem. I just get up and walk out of the house. That kind of thing is amazing when it happens. That really is amazing. And can you tell people what your book is called, where they can find it? It's called Unfreezing Trauma, My Private Journal of EMDR Recovery. I have a website, unfreezingtrauma.com. You can get extra information about EMDR. I've got some video stuff there. There's some book suggestions. There's a lot of stuff there. And you can hook up there to go and get the book. It's available on Amazon. Perfect. I will put that link in the show notes for sure. Do you have any words of advice or wisdom for those that are struggling from a traumatic experience? Oh, I know it's hard to think about trying something new. And I know it's hard to find somebody and make the phone calls and make sure they take your insurance and stuff, but it is worth it. Go and get EMDR. Check it out. It can save your life. It can give you your life back. Just go and do that. Mary, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and being open and vulnerable. I'm so sorry all of that happened to you. And I am so grateful that you found EMDR and that you wrote your book and you're spreading the word and trying to help other people. Well, thank you for having me on so we can spread the news to more people. Absolutely. Thank you. Mary, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and being so open and vulnerable and honest about your struggles, your your traumas. I so appreciate you and I know that my listeners do as well. Everyone, please check out Mary's book. And if you've experienced any trauma, there is help out there for you. Check out EMDR. There's also tapping, brain spotting. There are different therapies that are coming out now that are really, really helpful with trauma. You don't have to suffer alone. You don't have to struggle. There is help out there. Mary, thank you so much. I would really appreciate it if you shared this episode. Share it with a friend. Share it with family. Share it on your social media. Be sure to tag me. I would really appreciate you getting the word out, Mary's story, how EMDR could help those that have experienced trauma. And please, please make sure you go to iTunes and give my podcast a review. That would be really helpful and I would greatly appreciate it. This is the month of self-love, so if you are interested in joining my five-day self-love challenge, check out the link in the show notes, and that challenge will be emailed to you every single day. Go sign up, because we could all do with loving ourselves some more. So go check that out. Again, the link is in the show notes. 